Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Caleb Davidson. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. But uh, if you got your word here today, let's open it up and pray uh, in a moment again. But it says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, at this time in this story, Elijah, many of you would know Elijah as one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And he actually raised up another man by the name of Elisha. All right, so I always, like, there's J and there's Sh, okay? Like, Elijah and Elisha, okay? They're so close to name that you often can get them mixed up. But the reality is that Elijah is, there was actually, it says that John the Baptist in the New Testament came in the spirit of Elijah. And I believe that the reason he would come and and help make a way for Jesus to come in the spirit of Elijah is because this guy, if I could be straight with you, was a boss, He was unlike any other Old Testament prophet that existed in his boldness, in his courage, in the audacity of faith that he exemplified. He was wild, okay? And he kind of set a precedence in the spirit for everybody else to kind of go, whoa, like this guy will like shake you up, all right? And so he kind of came out of nowhere. He was Elijah the Tishbite. (laughs) It's like, that bites, right? It's, uh, he really was nobody. He came out of the blue. And he just rose up out of this place called Gilead, and he approached the king, who was King Ahab, with his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel was the wicked witch from the Wild West, okay? She was a crazy woman who was on a rampage to kill all the prophets of Israel. And even though Ahab was a Jew, she was a a Sidonian, and basically she did not worship the God of Israel. And so they kind of mixed their gods together, and they ended up worshiping a rain god uh, named Baal, all right? And he was basically the the god of, of of the weather, right? And she basically, you know, thought that the land would prosper because of it. But in Numbers, or Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16 and 17, God actually said in the written word of God that if you create a prophet, if you, as the people of God, if you create idols and worship other gods, God will cause the rain to shut up and the, the, the ground to stop producing dew and you will actually come into a drought and he'll close up the land on you. And so Elijah, knowing what the written word of God had promised, saw what was happening in his nation and the judgment that was going to come across the earth. And so he came up in boldness and in courage and confronted the king who is introducing idol worship and mixture. And he says, as the Lord of God of Israel lives before whom I stand before, uh, there, there shall be no more dew nor rain these years except at my word. I think that's incredible. Uh, I think that is an incredible faith statement. I think that he probably just got ahead of himself on that one, honestly. That's my true interpretation of the scripture, being somebody who is equally, uh, you know, like, you know, in today's age as a pastor, you just kind of go, you just say things sometimes in a declaration of faith, and I just feel like God goes, okay. You know, and it's like, well, we'll back him up on that one because I like him, you know. And so here he goes, at my word. I would have said it at God's word at least, but he know he said it like, me. It's like, he probably walked away going, oh, shoot, what did I just do? You know, like that was definitely a moment there for sure. He says, it will not do nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, now get away from here and turn eastward and hide. <laughs> you, better, you better get out of Dodge, bro. You just, you just looked at the king and told him off. You just said, yeah, you worship the rain God, but I just want you to know that my God is a true God, our God that we've always been worshiping. You just introduced this new plot. You don't have to add anything to Jesus. The moment you do, you lose everything. So I just want you to know something. Hey, listen to me. It's not gonna, you're not going to see the produce that you're looking for anymore because I'm going to close up the heavens and come my word. And so, boom, I'm going to release the word of the Lord into the season. I'm going to take an ancient, timeless word, and it's now going to be formed as a timely word for our, as a season. Because
because this word is a timeless word, but it can also be declared as a timely word. And so I'm going to bring a word that has been written that I can throw my life upon, and I'm going to declare what God has been saying through the ages, and I'm going to deliver it right now. And so, so, so God goes, so yeah, because you did this, you better, you better run and hide. Quick hide, you know, because like, you're going to... They're going to want to kill you for that. And so by the, and he goes, I want you to hide, not just in any place. I want you to hide by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan River. And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Uh, how many of you guys know there's always a there where the provision of God is flowing? And some of you guys are looking, some of us here today are, are believing God for his provision to flow in our lives. And I just simply want to say, have you, are you still in alignment with the assignment across your life? Because I want you to know that if, if you've broken the alignment of what God has said over you, I want you to know that the provision of God is at the front lines of the word that God has spoken over your life. And some of us, like Nehemiah, we want to run away from that which we know God is, or not Nehemiah, but Jonah, want to walk away from the word that we uh, know that God has spoken over us. But I want you to know there's no provision there. There's only provision where God has spoken it. And it might be unconventional. It might not look like that's what's obvious where God will provide. It might not look like the way that you think it's all going to come together in your natural human capacity. But I want to say to somebody here today that needs a word from God to hear it loud and clear. That God might call you to the most unrealistic of places to provide for you. He might put you in secret and conceal you and wait for a time to reveal you. I want you to know that you might be in the backwoods of somebody's, you know, like, like a Elisha, when he was on the back fields of his father's farm, in obscurity, in a place of concealment and hiding, where God said, I'm going to prepare you in private. Come on, somebody. Right? He's going to pre prepare you in private, but I want you to know something, that God's provision is in that place, and he will take care of your needs and make sure that you honestly walk into all that he has for you. But you got to trust him. And so it says, I will feed you there. Everyone say there. Not here, There. It's neither here nor there. No, it's there. There is a place. There is a place where God's provision flows. Remember Moses? When he tried to go across the Red Sea, he had to lift up his hands, and God gave him a word, lift up your hands, I'll open the Red, the Red Sea, I'll cause it to divide, and you will walk on dry ground. He got a word from God, and there was provision for he and the people of God to walk through there. But the moment that Pharaoh tried to walk on the same word that he wasn't given for himself, he tried to walk in and what happened to him and his army and his people? They were washed up in the sea and they all drowned. How many of you guys know? You can look to your right and your left. You can look at the people who are getting favored over there and you can think, I want their journey. I want to live in their lane. But you got to love your lane and you got to live your lane and you got to understand there's a grace for your race, but you got to be true to the grace that's upon you and know what God has spoken because there's provision for you there. You just got to wait for God. He's going to open you up eventually. He'll give you the favor that'll make people envious of your life, but you just got to wait your turn, all right? Everyone say, wait my turn. And so he's there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he, before he went and stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows to the Jordan, the ravens brought him bread and meat, brought him a happy meal every single morning, and bread and meat in the evening, a happy meal at night. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while. I want to say after a while. I want you to know that after some days, it says in different translations, that word simply means this. It means that God's right appointed time. That's actually what it means in the Hebrew. It means that God was walking with Elijah day to day and knew, all right, it's right now. I want you to know something, somebody here today, that what it is that's written across your life, with the thing that God has promised you, you need to hear it loud and clear. There is, the right thing at the wrong time is always the wrong thing. There is a time, and God will dictate the time. I know, I know what it's like. I, I, I agree, okay? Sometimes you're like, really God, now? And other times you're like, really God, why not now? Some of you single ready to mingle, you're like, it's time. And God's like, not yet. 
And you're thinking, somebody please jingle me up. I'm single, ready to mingle. I want that girl to give me a jingle. She refuses to call me back. And so you're thinking the Lord has told you to be together and you stalk her at church. Stop that. But there is a point in time. And after some time, after a while, it is at God's timing. How many of you guys know that God's, man, he's, he's never late, never on time, like never early, but he's always on time with his plan and his purpose. And we got our plans, but he's got his. And we walk according to that. It says, after a while that the brook dried up, and because there had been no rain in the land, it says, it dried up. Everyone say, ooh. It dried up. You see, the brook that he was being provided for, the place that God had said, I'm going to bring you into it. Elijah, did you make a mistake? Elijah, were you led astray by the word of the Lord? If God was on it, shouldn't he continue to provide for you through it? And yet there is this place where he has to break free from the place of Kareth. There is a cutting that takes place at Kareth. And he has to cut away and break away from the place which God had originally called him. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody here today. But there is a place where eventually there comes a point in everyone's journey on the process to your promise. I want you to know that the promises of God across your life, they take place over the process of time. They are not something that takes place immediately. It's not like, you'll be the worship leader of the nations. And the next week, you know, you're picked out of the crowd. You're like 15 years old. And then you're going to be rocked up on the, on the platform. You're going to sing and become the worship leader of the nations. The, the truth is that you might have a gift. You might have the lungs and the sound of an angel. You know, you might sound like Sarah McLaughlin when you sing. In the arms of the angel. Is it ages? Ages? Oh, angel? I don't know what it is. It's every, like, sad dog thing where we're trying to sponsor animals. I don't know why they always play that for that one. It's true, right? Come on. It's so true. You're like, I feel so bad for that puppy. I'm like, okay. But the reality is, is that, you know, you might have the voice of an angel, but you have to understand something here today. That God is going to lead you through the process of a promise, and that could often take years. A season, what I've learned about when God speaks a season of your life, he doesn't mean like the next two months. He could mean the next ten years. You know, when I look back over our life as, as my church over the last eight years, I would call that a season. And God is looking at us in a similar fashion. Over the next season, I'm going to lead you into a place where you're going to come alive to the plans and purposes of God. But it's going to happen through process. Because what I've learned about any, you know, product line is that process guarantees the product. Well, process with God also guarantees a promise. And it's going to be beautiful. I want to talk to you about... Several different places. We're not going to read all this. But next it says, it says that the word of the Lord came to him once the, the brook dried up, saying, I want you to rise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, so I have commanded a widow to provide for you. And in this place, this widow is approached. Elijah finds her, and he, she basically says, hey, what are you doing? She's gathering sticks for her last fire to prepare her last meal because I'm going to go prepare my last meal and die. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. But it's so dark, it's almost comical. It's like... Man, she is not thinking in a heavenly perspective. She's got a dark perspective. And take the man of God, bring the, to deliver the word of God to help reverse what she believes is a curse in her life. To help turn the situation around. And try doing it. There's her way. That's obviously leading it. She thinks this drought, because he prophesied no rain, it led to a drought in the land. Which means there was no more produce. Which means there was no more food. Which means the livestock were starting to die. And they had a famine then coming through, right? And so... How many of you guys know God's going to help you continue to dream in the drought? 
He wants you to learn how to find water in the wilderness. He wants you to learn how to depend on him alone. And this is the process to every promise. We understand, I get it, you got mad skills. You can create wealth for yourself. Okay, cool. You come from a great pedigree or great stock and you think you got it all lined up. But I want you to know something. I don't care what it is you came from. I don't care where it is you've been or what it is you've done. I want you to understand something real clear. If it's not for the grace of God that runs mad through your family, mad through your life, mad through the skills that God has invested into you, you understand, we would have nothing if it weren't for the grace of God. And God is going to bring each and every one of us through a season where we learn to rely on a supply that is only him, where we learn to be dependent upon him himself. And so therefore there will come a season where he'll begin to cut things off and begin to strip you back. And he'll strip you of even the strength, the status, and the stuff that you've got. Even sometimes your own health. And I'm not saying that God is the one who's, who's causing your health to deteriorate. That's not what I'm saying. I believe he can use it, however, to get a hold of you to know the word of God is able to heal your body. And it's he that is the one who's able to do miraculous things in and through your life. When in Kareth, you got to understand, this guy Elijah comes out of nowhere. He really does. He's out of the blue. He's an ordinary guy. Many of us think Elijah, the great prophet, that which is spoken about all throughout the scriptures. But how did God take an ordinary guy who is Elijah the Tishbite in one second, but then just pages later in chapter 17, verse 24, after Elijah caused this woman's household to be sustained by the word of God delivered to her as she acts in obedience to putting him first, feeding him and making a cake for him, the oil that's in her jar never runs out. It doesn't run over, but it doesn't run out. And she and her family are provided for through the famine. So there's no more famine for her. She's able to provide and make cakes. She's able to survive. But there is a drought, but there's no more famine. And in this moment, it says she has a revelation. Look what she calls Elijah. And now by this I know that you are a man of God. Look at that. Through the process of a promise, God begins to change people's perception of you. He begins to, in the the act of maturity, he begins to drop your voice. And they hear the content of your words a little differently, don't they? They see you as Elijah the Pishbite, some dude from the inhabitants of Gilead, to Elijah the man of God. Look how the process of God's promise begins to change the perception. I want you to know something. How people perceive you is how they receive you. And you can't build a great team or a great work off of people who don't see you right. Even Jesus himself in Matthew 16 said, who do men say that I am? It was a pointed question. All of his disciples are surrounding him. Peter pipes up and says, I can see that you're a man of God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he goes, that was the correct theological answer. That is who he is in Christ. That is who he is in God. That is who God appointed him to be. He is the son, not a son. He is the son of God. The Christ. And so Peter was, or Jesus responds back to Peter and says, you're right, Peter, for flesh and blood. This is not a, a, a piece of information, a revelation that man could come about on their own. But God, my Father in heaven, revealed this to you. And then he says, and upon this rock, this revelation of who I am, I will build my church. Did you notice how Jesus established himself in his leadership to cope, work the plans and the purposes of God? What did he do? He surrounded himself with people who saw him correctly. Who perceived him the right way. And you got to understand, I'm so grateful for my team. I'm so grateful for the people who even through this journey of walking this whole transition out, were convinced of the word of God that have been spoken of through prophets and people. And I don't, you know, obviously I, I love you. I want you to understand. I realize that for some people that's a hard pill to spill. It seems like over spirituality. I just want you to know you're going to hate this place then. But, uh, but, uh, but the reality is we just believe in what the word of God truly is written about. We believe that that God still speaks today. We believe that God is directing and leading this church by the power of his spirit. I want you to know, and I'm not apologetic for it. 
And I pray that you'd be convinced yourselves one day of the same reality and the same truth over your own life. And while we're on different stages and ages of maturity of journeying that out and trust levels, I pray that you begin to increase it and see the commitment of that increase. But I'm grateful for a leadership team who see Jules and I and the light of what God has spoken, not just who we are in the flesh. I get it. You can see the man, but there's equally a mantle in God. And the man could be an offense to you. The man could be a stumbling block to you. But I'm grateful for people who refuse to be offended at the man and, and instead agree with the mantle of what God has spoken and say, God, if Moses could go to Pharaoh with a stick, God can take Caleb and Julie with whatever sling or whatever they got, like a jawbone of a donkey. I don't know what their tool is. With this, this, this mouth of a, of a donkey like me and use it to the glory of God. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? And they agreed with it. Who do you need to agree and see you right? You need to surround yourself with the people who see who you are in God and honor you in the capacity of that because the miracle will never release without the honor of God around it. Come on, I, I, that was really deep actually. So when you're in carrot, Elijah comes up and he, he has this moment of confrontation. I can imagine just through my life and journey some appreciation for the process that he went through as he came and began to take a moment and take a meeting with the king who at this time was actually an exceedingly wicked king. I just want you to know that, okay? This guy is not exactly like God's ideal of what a good leadership looks like. And so he stands up, this guy from nowhere, this probably this young guy, and he, he stands up and he goes, I know what the written word of God is. He, he can't fight your battles without the word of God alive and active in your season. You know, there's a reason that David always got a word from the Lord before he ever went into battle. Because if you get into a battle and stuff starts flying and you don't have a word to hold on to, you're going to get rocked to your core. Do you hear what I'm saying? We spiritualize this stuff. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, it's just Bible stuff. No, I don't want you to know this is not Bible stuff. This is life stuff. Because when you know what God is saying over you, what God is saying over your season, when everything goes to hell in a handbasket or it seems to be an upheaval, when everything seems to go in the opposite direction of what you thought it was supposed to, I want you to know that that word is what you're going to hold on to dearly with your life. And then some of you, you can get to a place where you forfeit your future, because you resigned your faith because you stopped believing your fight grows faint and holding on to the word because it just gets so intense. It gets so reversed. And what you're seeing is still stands so contrary to what God's been saying that it can, it can kind of hit you hard. And I want you to know if you hold on, it'll purify the promise inside your heart. But you got to be willing to go to the full extent of what God wants to do. And, and Elijah, he takes this brave stance at the risk of being executed on the spot. At the risk of thinking, what is everyone going to think of this madman like me just declaring God's word when no one else is really believing it? What's it going to look like? What are people going to say? You can imagine he's going to be thrust into the limelight because he's going to stand up against the king. You can imagine the whole nation is going to know about this guy Elijah overnight going, whoa, what is he doing? And he just takes the word that he has in the context of this scripture and he declares it boldly. He goes, it's not going to, you know, obviously in the context of our own lives, you can apply this a thousand different ways. I think there's just a word for your life that you need to be bold about. And you can take it to the bank and you can stand up to anyone and everyone and know that God is going to be God and deliver the word through you. And, and it's going to work. It's going to work itself out. But there's a process. See, I want you to know as soon as he delivers it, as soon as he takes a stand at the risk going, this is what I think God is saying, boom, he puts a target on his chest. And spears are about to get thrown because you can imagine they're not going to like what he has to say. And so he's thrown off into the wilderness. And God literally says, sitar, the word hide. In the original Hebrew, he says, I want you to hide. I want you to go and I, wanna, I want you to go into obscurity. I want you to run for your life right now. Because the truth is, is that you, in delivering the word of God, just created some enemies. And how many of you guys know 
when you deliver the word of God over your life and when you deliver the word of God for a season, sometimes not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone's going to be with you. Some people are going to throw spears, and that's okay. But the word of the Lord is very interesting. It says, now come with me, and I'm going to hide you. Why is he? Because he's going to protect them. And he's going to incubate this promise in his spirit. Because you just declared something bold. At my word? Like, Elijah, where'd you get that? I don't know, man. I just went with it. And God's like, all right, well, I got your back. I was like, please God, have my back. Please God, have my back. Like, that's kind of how it can feel sometimes when you take a big stand. And all of a sudden, he takes him to this place called Kareth. The interesting thing about Kareth is Kareth is a place that actually means this. It's a place that means cutting. It's a cutting that is brought about by a catastrophe like that of an earthquake. <laughs> and it's also the word that the Jews in Israel use as a means to call matrimonial bonds, tearing apart, a divorce, a cutting. It's a cutting. Come on, someone say, it's a cutting. And in the cutting, there's this process where God, through the cutting, begins to set Elijah on a course to deliver his promise. Because, you see, the things that I believe that in secret, see, I want you to know that Kareth is the place that God will lead you when you take a stand and you risk the, the bravery and the courage of stepping out on a word across your life. When you take a word that God has spoken, whether it's in the timeless word or a timely word in your spirit through somebody, and you begin to step out and you begin to, to, to follow it, there comes a point where God needs to go to work at you. There's the calling, but then there's the contradiction process where everything, like, I'm sure Elijah thought, I'm going to be an overnight sensation. Everyone's going to turn their hearts back to God. If I deliver the word of God, everyone's going to respond to it effectively and accordingly, and they're all just going to come follow me, and I'm going to be like, oh, I'm the worship leader of the nations, and everyone's just going to happen. They're going to hand me the mic and be like, everybody, okay, sweet. Thanks, King Ahab and Jezebel, for agreeing with the word of God. We're all in happy harmony now. And the exact opposite happens. The calling happens, and then everything goes to crap in a handbag. I'm sorry for saying it so bluntly, but it is not exactly the perfect process. It is messy. And what happens is Elijah is sent on this place to Kareth, and God miraculously provides for him there. And what happens is he begins to cut off. I think that the reason that he does this is because Elijah needs to have the process and the promise purified within him. And what goes on in this, in this moment is that he actually, God begins to provide for him miraculously to establish trust and establish faith. But then the word that Elijah eventually prophesied begins to outwork itself and the drought happens and so therefore the brook dries up. You know, this place, Kareth, is the place that God will lead you and hide you for a season in secret. It's the prayer room where God begins to deal with your heart and outwork the process of cutting. So you decouple and cut yourself from the things that have once given you the lifeline, the things that are you're relying upon that are not what God necessarily had for you. It's a supply, no less. It is a supply, but it's... I, my question to you is, do you rely on a supply that is not God's providence and provision for your life? I think that we can all at times know what it's like to lean on and to rest on things that we know aren't necessarily what God is intending for our lives. Be it, maybe it's a relationship, for instance. Maybe it's a dating relationship that you know, like, there's some people who just can't be single. They can't just be alone with God long enough to be alone with themselves because of their, their, their torment of themselves, the thoughts they are left with with themselves. There's all kinds of moments in relationships where sometimes we can pair off and, and put ourselves in with other people. And 
you can start to draw from that place, and it's not what God necessarily wanted. It's just simply that is a supply, but it's not the supply that God intended to give you that is purely from who he is. See, in this moment, I believe that you can easily trust the activity of God, but God wants you to trust his identity. He wants to reveal himself in a greater way, in a greater capacity to you. And so there are these things. Maybe it's a job that you're like looking at, uh, you know, I've always had this job provide for me. And so you can easily migrate your hope from in God we trust to in whatever this, pro, this employment is, is my, my, my trust. Jehovah Jireh is my job. God is my job. And you can reduce God down to your employer and literally cause yourself and your hope to migrate to the things that you're a part of or that you associate with. Maybe your hope and your trust is in people or networks and the kind of people that you associate with. And you think that God is going to provide for you if you can open up that network, if you can break through this door, it's all that. Which I obviously don't have any, there's no problems with like conventional thought. I'm just saying sometimes God is going to do the unconventional thing like we're about to read about. And what happens is he'll begin to cut. And there's a cutting that takes place. And it can be painful. You can think, God, I thought you called me to this place. God, I thought you were providing for me miraculous in this place. And yet, the word that he had spoken long ago begins to outwork itself. You released it prophetically when you declared it to the king, Elijah. I'm only fulfilling the word that you said. And so I provided to you up until this point now. But now we got to shift gears. And now that you can't rely on any natural resources, what looks obvious to man or to you or through human capacity, through which is an obvious brook, to draw water and sustenance from. I am now going to provide for you in a way. So it's the division. This is the dividing season where God comes in your life and cuts. There's a division from the flesh, what looks obvious through human capacity, and then what looks obvious that is just clearly the spirit. It is now watch me perform on your behalf. This is Abraham and Isaac. This is that moment where God divides Ishmael from Isaac and casts out the bondwoman. This is the cutting. Do you see it? This is the cutting where he says, now watch me perform. You've made sense of it, and I miraculously provided through it for a time. But at a certain time, it comes a point of maturity. At a time where God says, now hear the word of the Lord. I'm moving you on. I'm moving you into something greater. I'm moving you something. And now get this, get this, the optic. I want you to see the optic of this whole move. God, it begins to take him from care at this place of cutting brought about by an earthquake. You know, I've discovered I started studying earthquakes since we started declaring earthquakes over this community. And this past week, all across California, earthquakes are happening. And I'm just, I'm like, okay, God, is it coming up to Ottawa? Because it's spiritually happening. No doubt about that. But I'm getting ready for it. And what's happening, I started to study earthquakes. And in Acts 16, you see the earthquake where Paul is, is falsely accused. He's ridiculed and scorned. And he's thrown into a prison into the inner cell with Paul and Silas, and it says that God, in order to deliver him, supernaturally performs on behalf of him. He begins to keep his perspective in this, in this prison. He begins to keep his promise and the perspective of that promise, even in the midst of being contained and guarded deeply by the enemy. I believe that the enemy wanted to guard Paul because he was in a city of Philippi, and all he thought he was, man, just over one city, Philippi, but God actually released all of Europe through Philippi. 
The church in Europe was established. It has its roots in that contention. No wonder there is so much contention at times for the things across your life and the things that you're fighting and warring for because if you only knew what was on the other side of the war that you are warring for right now, when you only understood what was on the other side of that rebellious child that you have at home, it's not rebellion that God sees as strong leadership. And if you can just hold your ground and begin to continue to speak the word of God, can you war it out? Maybe you didn't know that the contention that you're experiencing at work and the reason there's so much stuff and drama surrounding the dream is because there's a contention because of greater ministry that is on the other side of what looks like a closed door. At the moment, you know, when God began to see Paul, he says, now watch Paul, I get it, you're in a place of not of your own making, this isn't your fault, you did everything right, and yet you're being punished for it, it doesn't seem fair. And yet God comes and supernaturally delivers an earthquake and shakes the prison uh, foundations where he's out. See, God, well, in, the, in, the, in the, that place of, of obscurity, in that place of being alone with yourself and God, prayer, will you release the praise of God and continue to praise God for the dream because he will cause her to be a shaking of the thing. And the shaking released him from the foundations of that which was trying to contain him. It overthrew certain demonic activity that would not allow the word and the man of God to be contained any longer, but released the supernatural ministry that it was called to do. You know, it's much like Christ, falsely accused, right? Like Paul, thrown into the inner cell, like the tomb, and guarded. But then an earthquake came, and all the dead people started rising up out of the grave. The same thing, death and fear of death, was eliminated at the earthquake when Christ. So the earthquakes are basically, scripturally, the thing that will shake the foundations of the things that try to contain you. It'll cut off fear or death from your life and cause you to walk in the fullness of what God has called you to walk in. Much like Paul, where he was released, and then after the earthquake, immunity was given to him. No one touched him. They all had the fear of God over him. They said, whoa. Like great Christ when the earthquake came and released him from the tomb. And all the dead people, 500 dead people rose from the grave alongside Christ. And he had immunity. No one touched him. And in the same way, I want you to know that Kareth is a place that literally, historically, is said. Kareth means a place of cutting that's brought about through a catastrophe like that of an earthquake. It's a shaking. See, when God cuts, it shakes you. When God cuts, it shakes you. Because he's releasing off and shaking off the things that are keeping the purity of his promise from coming forward. And so he cuts it, and it's painful at times. You wrestle with God in private, in hiding, in this place of concealment. It literally means, the word sitar to hide, it means to absent yourself. Have you ever felt like you've been absent from the things, you've, you feel like you're not even on, on, on the radar for the things that God has promised across your life? You absent yourself, and he releases his provision in a supernatural capacity. So far, he, he supernaturally led you to where you are, but he still provided through natural means, the brook. But when he drives up the brook, now watch the supernatural provision of God begin to take place. <laughs> what I am saying right now is very prophetic. People need to understand that there is a supernatural hand of God that will come forward in your life if you'll let him shake you to the point where he cuts that thing off Maybe it's fear, maybe it's validation, maybe it's the fear of what people will think and the opinion of man, which I think is a, an incredibly understated snare for many people. It is, wow, a major thing. 
And let me just say, he cuts it off and he leads you now to a place called Zarephath. I think the second stage of the promises of God is he's gonna do a, a deep cutting and it's gonna release you into who he really is. You're gonna start to see Elijah the Tishbite start to transform into Elijah the man of God. Watch this. And he starts to see the supernatural ministry of God where he releases God's given word for the season into a situation. He goes, I want you to go to Zarephath. Zarephath means refining by fire. So there's a place, the first stage of the promises where when you declare something by faith, he'll begin to give you a contradictory season. What God has said and what you see, what you're seeing in the natural is gonna seem like impossible. It's gonna seem like it stands contrary to what God has said and promised. I'm the worship leader of the nations. Why am I in the back room using a, a toilet brush? He's like, because that's your new microphone. And you got to serve your way into significance and watch how God will begin through the process of a promise. Grow the man or woman of God in you to trust the, the little things that God has said. And so he cuts, he hides, and he cuts. And there's some things that happen in private in you. And as you begin to shift, he begins to bring you now under fire. And your faith will come under great heat. And I want to just encourage somebody here today whose faith has gone and undergone an incredible amount of heat. Your faith has been put in the oven. Your faith is under fire, but I want you to know that your faith was made for the fire. You have nothing to fear in the fire because Jesus will show up in it. If it's your word, you can know that this is not, it's a refining season, but equally a defining season because of who God's gonna reveal himself to be in your life. And he's gonna grow your confidence in the fire. It's in the fire that grows the man and woman of God into believing who God said they really are. It's in the fire that God begins to purify and cause all the dross and all the impurities and all the doubt and all the, uh, the things, that the, the fears up to the surface. And it begins just like the refiner fire, just like the silversmith or the goldsmith puts the, the gold into the fire. It causes in great heat. He sits there and watches the silver or the gold and causes all the dross to come up and he scrapes the dross off the dross off the top and keeps just scraping off the impurities off the top until when it's liquid he can see his reflection in the silver or the gold and at that moment they know they have but seconds to remove it from the fire and God in his providence God in his, in his timing after a while in God's right time will bring you to the place of Zarephath of refining where you're going to feel the heat your faith might come under great fire it might be uh, you know it might be ridiculed it might be uh, uh, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for like fire is kind of like this uh refining agent. It's this place where it, it might feel like you're under a great deal of pressure or, or even persecution of sort. You know, Sidon is literally the hometown of Jezebel. I think it's ironic that God caused him to go and be hiding for three years in Jezebel's hometown of all places. And it says this, it says that Zarephath was a place where he would cause a, 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 a lowly widowed woman who was scraping up her last meal for her and her son to start providing for Elijah. Now, why would God cause Elijah to go from a place where he naturally is provided then to go into a place of supernatural provision? Why would he not supernaturally cause Richie Rich to show up in his life with golden robes and royal robes and start making it rain over his life, going, I got a, I got a penthouse suite, why don't you take one of the spare rooms or the spare houses that I got? That would, see, conventional thought says God's going to bring the marketplace or the business world into your lap and it's just going to deliver, and yet sometimes he does the unconventional because it's the process. He, he brings you the place where he's led to a lowly woman who's in more need than he would be. 
and he's told by God, now tell her to put you first. Could you imagine how that must have felt to Elijah? If he had any tact, if he had any kind of self-awareness, he'd realize, oh, geez, this is awkward. Ask a woman who's in a worse off situation than me to provide for me. I'm so, and leave it to the man to say, feed me first. I think it is ironic. It's a joke, but it's funny. And the reality is, is that what happens in Zarephath is God leads it to a woman in greater need. Now, why would he do that? See, because I believe that when we get richy rich in our lives, again, your hope migrates to thinking God uses this way to do it. And I just came here to, to prophesy over somebody that God might just lead you in an unconventional way and the person he put in front of you might even seem problematic, but your job is to see the promise of God, God wrapped up in the guise of a problem. See that? Because the promise of God might just be sitting right in front of you through that problematic child of yours. That, that problem of God might just be that disgruntled employee sitting right in front of you right now. That promise of God might be wrapped up in, in the form of that, that lack of margin or need in your life because God is saying, I want to show up and do something powerful in your life. And so therefore I'm going to strip it, cut off, that's the stripping I'm going to strip you of your strength. I'm going to strip you of your status through Kareth. I'm going to cut all of it away. And you're going to feel bare bones. You're going to feel like that dog who just went and got groomed. And he's looking around and all the skin's showing. He's like, oh, I feel so awkward. You're going to feel vulnerable in the eyes of others. You're going to feel like, man, everyone's looking in in your weakness. And God is saying, you're, my strength is made perfect, you see, in your weakness. My, I need greater need to give greater grace. And so... I want to create the need. I want to create the space for my grace to flow. And so in Kareth, the flow grew slow. It went going, going, and now it's gone. The provisions dried up. But how many of you guys know it might be dried up, but it isn't died out? You need to dream in the drought and know that God can provide for you and give you water in the wilderness. And so he brings him to the Zarephath and says, now this woman's going to provide for you in a supernatural capacity. Why? Because God wants everybody to know in the plot of the story that it's me. It wasn't because he had a great business deal. It wasn't because this or that happened. I want the people, and most of all, you, Elijah, to know who I am in your life. Has it ever occurred to you that God wants to reveal himself in a greater capacity in your life? That God is desiring to, to show himself true, but tried and tested? Like a medal that cannot be, it's like showing his medal to you. And you're going to freak out when God begins to cut off. It's like lifelines. The, the brook is like a hose that feeds him. Maybe it's a relationship, a job, a thing. And God goes, snip, and cuts it off. And you go, I can't, I can't breathe. And you're trying to go for it because you you're like addicted to those things. Those are your default settings. Those are the things that you lean on. Come on, we break patterns. I just try to stop drinking sparkling water and eating popcorn at 8.30 at night, and it's enough to drive me crazy. When God starts messing with your patterns and he starts cutting off lifelines, what's it gonna do to you? Who are you now? Who is God now? And God through the fire refines it and he causes this woman who says, I'm dire, I'm dark, I'm depressed, I'm preparing my last meal. She has a poverty mentality. So Elijah, what do you do when a man or a woman of God, a leader in the church, asks more of you than you think you have the capacity to deliver. <clears throat> Happens, doesn't it? Did it ever occur to you that much like this story, they're actually trying to teach you to do it God's way? That they're actually trying, they're not trying to kill you, they're actually trying to save your life. 
And we have this idea when God blesses me, it's going to be running over. But not in this case. He prophesied it wouldn't run out. And so I need you to look back at that point where you started to do it God's way. And you think, well, man, God hasn't blessed me. Is your bank account the same? Has it run out? No. Might not be running over. But God says, I will not cause it to run out. I will just provide your need, not your greed. And so what happens is, this is the key when you're in much need. When you need it most, don't eat it. When you need it, don't eat it. That's your seed. And he was trying to teach her. Listen, you're on your last meal. Sow it into me and watch how God will begin to increase and bless your life. Because when you need it, you're thinking, I need it. But then you're going to have nothing less, enough because you just, you just ate your seed. And you have to see money. you got to see God's provision like a seed in the kingdom that you sow. And when you need it, don't eat it. Sow it. And watch how God will show it to become fruitful in your life. And so what happens is he goes through this whole season. And then all of a sudden, God starts to miraculously provide for us. He begins to act on the word of God delivered by Elijah. You know, some of you here today, you don't always like what we have to say up here. But you have to understand, I'm not giving you my ideas or my opinions. I'm declaring over you the word of God. So regardless of whether you like it or not, it's really up to you. I don't really, that's not my business. I just need you to know, you can either act on the word of God, or you cannot act on the word of God. You can either trust Jesus, or you cannot. But I just want you to know, our heart is always to work towards seeing you come into the fullness and the fruitfulness that God has promised over your life. And so if you do it God's way, I promise you, he will bless you immensely. Because his name is Yahweh. I always joke, it's Yahweh, not my way, God. Right? And uh, so then he leads him to Carmel. And this is the, 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 one of the pinnacle points of the process to this promise that working itself. And we'll wrap up here. The pinnacle point of the story is, so then people start to see him as the man of God. She goes, man, I, now that I can see that through this whole miraculous provision, wow, God is really beginning to outwork something in you, Elijah. What started as a declaration of faith now is beginning to embed itself and become the fabric. You're beginning to, the message is flowing out of you. The, the supernatural is beginning to flow out of you. So in other words, what's happening is it's rooting itself in him. And he's trusting what's in his heart, starting small with this woman and increasing it and to the point where he gets put in front of the whole nation again. God says, now come out. There's the calling, there's the contradiction, but then there's the commissioning. There he comes out of the secret, he comes out of hiding, and God says, no longer conceal you, time to reveal you. And so he says, stand up before the king and call everyone together. We're gonna have a showdown and a shakedown. He says, now if God is God and the word of your life is such and such, he goes, how long will you as a nation waver? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, then serve them. In other words, you got one foot in with God, one foot out. And you're wavering a God identity because you're too focused on activity and what's happening around you. And God is saying, if God's promised and God is who he said, then his promises are sure, yes and amen in Christ. So he's saying, how long will you waver? And isn't that the struggle? The word comes, but then the wavering comes. And you waver at the word. And he caused there to be a moment where he says, enough. God has dealt with me in secret. God has dealt with me in my heart. God has shown me who he is. I can trust him. Much like David who faced off Goliath. This is Elijah facing off with his giant. And how did David face off his, his Goliath? He knew who he was. He, know, he could trust what's in his heart. How do you know who his name means? The beloved of God. When you know that you're loved by God, it doesn't matter that no height nor depth, nor demon nor angel, 
No, I, no oh, you know the whole story of Romans 8. I'm struggling at the moment. Forgive me. But you can separate you from the love of God. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror in him because when I'm loved by God, I know that he's got my back. And it doesn't matter what I declare in faith, God's going to back it because he literally said, I believe his, your faith like that to declare the word of God will attract him. He'll stop in his tracks like he did with the woman in the issue of blood. and said, whoa, I've not seen faith like this. He'll stop. In this moment, Elijah throws down. He says, how long will all you waver at the word and the promise of God over your life? If God is God, let him be God in your life. But stop playing both sides. He goes, watch this. And he says, give me all the water. I declared over the drought. There's been no rain. Where's your water reserve? And they go, right here, these big barrels. He goes, take it, build me an altar. And they built him an altar. He says, now take all the water you got left and pour it out. This is Elijah pouring it out on the altar. Now, what is the water symbolic of? Their complete dependency on natural resource and means. How could he have such faith to sacrifice? How could he have? Many of you have even talked to me in this last couple of weeks saying, wow, your faith that you and Julie have exerted, it inspires us. The sacrifice that you're willing to trust God in. I want you to know, I don't feel inspirational. As a matter of fact, I never felt inspirational at all. I felt the exact opposite. I felt like, oh God, if you do not come through for me right now, but this is my Elijah pouring, and how did I have the confidence to do it? Just like Elijah did. In secret, God showed me what he could do. In private, God showed me what he was able to do. How did David face the Goliath? In secret, God showed him what he was able to do. I defeated the lion and the bear in secret, and God delivered them into my hands, so therefore he'll do the same with this uncircumcised real estate. It starts in private where God prepares you, but private victory is what leads to public victory. And so what happens is Elijah is put before the people, and he says, how long will you waver? Give me everything you have left and pour out your water. How does he know to do that? See, if God had to let him to richie rich and have him supplied his needs in the last season of Zarephath, he would have never had the faith to do that. But because he had nothing, because he had nothing left, and God supernaturally provided, he had the faith to trust who God was and said he would be in the moment. And so he said, pour out the water. Did God tell him to do it? I don't believe he did. He just wanted to make sure that God knew we're fully dependent on you to act. And if we're not fully dependent, God, your grace, so we're gonna create a massive need, like a national need, God, that we're gonna need you because we just poured out all, our, all, all we have left. All of our, our hedged bet is just on the altar. And it says, the prophets of Baal, they go cutting themselves, the rain God, People, they cut themselves and they slice themselves up. Nothing happens. But then, but then. And even Elijah mocks them. He goes, man, is your God asleep? Maybe you went to the bathroom. Literally says that. I love that. And all of a sudden it says that he gets his turn. He goes, pour out the water. Drench it. I don't know if you guys put this together, but fire doesn't burn well with, with wet wood. Just wanted to remind some people of that, that, you know, that supernatural science stuff. You know what I'm saying? And um, he pours out the water, and all of a sudden it says, fire came down from heaven and licked up every ounce of water and burned the entire altar to a crisp. And the people, they flung themselves to the ground. They said, whoa, our God is God. Our God is God. And Elijah turned all the hearts of the men, all the hearts of Israel back to God in a moment. You know what caramel means? It means fruitful. I think it's interesting where we collide with fruitfulness in our greatest sacrifice. I think it's interesting where God crowns us. Where was Christ crowned, King of the Jews? On the cross. Because the crown, even though it was a mockery with the crown of thorns on his head, King of the Jews, I think it's interesting the crown he wore that day. 
because the crowns always come to your greatest crushing. Ziklag was where David was crowned. And you know where Ziklag was? Where he lost his family and his home was burnt to a ground. And it was there that the crown, which is normally not brought, like he was, he was coronated and crowned in the place of his greatest crushing. I came here to tell somebody here today, you think it's gonna be in the palace. You've got this mentality that you think, I gotta get around the great men and women of God. And I want you to know something. When it comes to God and his character, the reason that God refined him in Ziklag and burned the place down is because it showed the king that was inside of him. What did it show? It showed Christ-likeness at Ziklag. What was Ziklag? The place where literally a raiding army came while they were out in war and raided their children and, and wives and burnt their, all their stuff and plundered all their goods. The men came back and they wept so bitterly they had no tears to weep. And what did it say about that place? It says that David's men turned on him because of how bad it was. Guys that have been loyal for years and they're like, what are you doing? And so it says that David went away in secret and encouraged himself in the Lord. He grabbed a hold of the word of God's promise and said that God said, you shall surely recover all. Come on, that's an Abraham and Isaac moment of great sacrifice. And in that moment, when he sacrificed and encouraged himself in the Lord, he went back like Christ, our Christ, and went and regained all that was lost through Adam and restored it to us. And what happened? The kingly anointing that was inside of him, even though he wasn't yet king, was shown to be true. The image of God and Christ in him was seen in the sacrifice. Some of you need to get a, a revelation of the sacrifice and the surrender of the season. If you want to live in the pinnacle of fruitfulness, understand it comes at the point of great sacrifice. What separated Jesus, the men from the boys, when it came to Jesus was the cross the place of great sacrifice where you saw the love of God on display for all of humanity. I came here to say the same is true for you and I. If you want to come into the fullness of the promise across your life, it's going to happen like this. It's going to happen when there's a deep cutting to stop relying on a supply that is not God, to create a full dependency on God and His Word in your life that so you will not be wavering to the right or to the left. You will stand secure in knowing who you are and whose you are and knowing that God is true and that He will perform His promise that which He'll perform that which He has promised to the full. The second thing he will do, he'll cause your faith to come under such fire and such refining that you'll think, man, I'm going to burn up in this. I'm going to, that's it, I'm over. And God is saying, no, I'm going to supernaturally provide for you. So you stop trusting in the activity of God and truly start trusting in the identity of God. And you're going to truly see who he is. It's not a refining season. It's a defining season where God is showing you who he is in and through your life. And people will begin to perceive it. People will begin to tell you. And after you go through the process of that, you'll come into the season of fruitfulness. You'll start coming into a season of commissioning where God will can no longer conceal you, but reveal you to the world for the power of God in and through your life. And it won't be for your purpose. It won't be for your fame. But it'll bring, it'll turn the hearts of a nation back to God. And so I prophesy it. Through this cutting and through this earthquake, that God will, will cut it. He'll refine it. And now he will release the fruitfulness across this nation that a nation will be on its knees before God and that a people will turn their hearts back to him, that they will no longer waver at the word of his promise, but they will equally stand confident and stand true to know that God is able, God is exceedingly able to perform the promise of that which he, to perform that which he has promised across our lives. So God, we commit this time to you. We commit this season to you. God, would you come have your way in us? God, would you do that which you're going to do? Would you cause courage to pour to breed across this congregation? Would you cause courage to spread across this community? Would you cause us to trust you in every turn, at every bit, at every step, in Jesus' name? And everybody said together, 
Come on, and everybody said together, amen. Love you. We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit mychurchcanada.com.